Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. Tonight we'll go back in time to seasons past. When 22 men graced the rugged fields of yesterday, fighting for one more first down, one more yard gain, one final score, which would bring victory after 60 minutes of battle on the gridiron. Tonight, we'll explore the world of a gridiron greats. Welcome to Gridiron Greats Football History on the Gridiron Greats Publishing and Broadcasting Network in conjunction with Swick Enterprises. We're live from the Wallingford, Connecticut home of Gridiron Greats Magazine. And I'm Bob Swick, publisher and editor of Gridiron Greats Magazine, and I'll be your host for the show. Gridiron Greats is the only publication in America which focuses upon the history and memorabilia of the North American football game since its inception in 1869. We cover 150-plus years of football history and memorabilia. You can find us on the web at Magazine. Dot com. It is at this time I'd like to introduce my co-host. He's a senior contributing writer to Gridiron Greats Magazine, a football yeah. memorabilia historian, specializing in pre-World War II items, in particular Red Grange, and also Seattle Seahawk items, in particular Steve Larger. He hails from Portland, Oregon. Mr. Joe Squires. Joe, welcome to the show this evening. Ah, Bob, always good to be here. Sunny and beautiful in Oregon right now, 85 degrees. Just a beautiful day out. We, we had the, a break here at the compound in Wallingford, Connecticut. It's a nice, cool day. It's a high 70s. Sun's out. Things look good. Got the windows open. Fresh air. By the way, Okay. I don't know if I've ever told you this. I love that you call the Wallingford, Connecticut, the compound. <laughs> the, it's the compound. People who know the, us here in Wallingford know <laughs> that 180 Long Hill Road is the Swick Bentley compound. The compound. <laughs> Good for Brenda. I'm we, sure she's happy with that. We, uh, we have the compound on Long Hill Road. I actually <laughs> live right across the street from the Wallingford Country Club, uh, which is one of the oldest golf country clubs in the state. And uh, I don't play golf, as people know. However, we do go over there on occasion for the socialization, meaning their restaurant and bar. And uh, we know most of the people over there. So it's, it's a nice place yeah. to go. But I, don't, I do not I go golf. golfing quite a bit. I go golfing quite a bit. But to say I play golf is a stretch. Well, I don't, I don't do anything. The other day, it was funny that we had a golf ball right in front of our mailbox. I don't know if somebody put it there <laughs> or they, they shanked the shot so bad from the parking lot, it can bounce in front of the house here. I don't know. It was amazing. Hey, let's get right into it, and we're going to be off script for a couple of minutes. Um, you picked up an incredible item, and I want you yeah. to uh, tell our listeners about it. 
pretty happy. REA auction. So we had uh, we had uh, uh, Brian Dwyer on as a guest about a year ago, I believe, uh, the president of REA, Robert Edward Auctions. Uh, I've known Brian since he worked at SGC, you know, at customer service. So to see Brian, right. you know, you know, meteoric rise to become president of REA is, is awesome. And I, I just, I dig the guy. Um, so uh, REA uh, had a very rare circa 1910 Jim Thorpe photo uh, of him standing there, just full uniform cleats on standing, just a type one photo of uh, a very young, you know, uh, Jim Thorpe, you know, Carlisle football photo, and uh, just pretty amazing. And it's just every once in a while, probably, you know, two, three times a year, you just come across something like, wow, that's something I just, I, I have to have. Uh, auction ended mm-hmm. Sunday night. Uh, you know, the family and I took a took a vacation to Eastern Oregon. And it's one of those where you show up, you know, Sunday afternoon, and, you know, I asked my wife, Stacy to put the kids to bed so I can be managing, you know, an, an auction closing, which is always fun to explain. Uh but very happy. Uh, first, first overtime of REA on Sunday night uh, just took down a Type One photo of Jim Thorpe in 1910. It was just a, a pretty amazing photo. Just it, it's always it's always just puts a smile on your face to add something like that to your personal collection. You know. Yeah, it's an amazing pickup. And you know, when I saw it, I saw the previews, and I and I didn't get a chance to talk to you about it. But obviously, I know you, you saw it and you know about it. And I said, I, I, I can guarantee Joe's going to pick that up for his collection. That, that's too, too good. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's too good to, to pass up. I mean, that, that represents well, and, you and your collection. Well, so. you know, Bob, there, there's like six or seven people that we've had as guests on the show that are all, you know, into, you know, just vintage football like that. That doesn't have to be Jim Thorpe. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jim Thorpe is vintage football, but, I mean, it could be, it, it, it could be anything. This photo is just vintage football. So there's at least five or six people I know who uh, who are after that, and it's kind of a you know you know a, a uh, whatever you want to call it an auction etiquette not to reach out to someone and just you know hey you going right. after this you, you just right. certain things you just kind of let the chips fall where where they may, uh, and this is one of those where I expected it to go into about three overtimes just keeping bid up and. Uh, as the clock was winding down in the first overtime, I was just stunned to see that I got it. So, obviously, very happy yep. to add it to my collection. Just a, a, a very early photo of Jim Thorpe. I have a I have another pretty early photo. Uh, it, it's an, an RPPC of, of Jim Thorpe, and it it says you know you know you know James Thorpe with Geis. And I've mm-hmm. never been able mm-hmm. to figure out who Geis was. I've read books. I've but this is you know probably nineteen you know oh nine. So I, I have an earlier mm-hmm. RPPC of it, but just pretty cool. I just I, I I love picking things like this up. So yeah, it's an amazing piece of football history, and uh, it went to a good home. And I was glad to see you yeah. picked it up because uh, I thought of you immediately when I saw that. So <laughs> and the cool thing about nice. this hobby, there's there's there the cool thing about our 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 beloved hobby here is there's you know even the people that I thought would be going after it, you know when. When I, you know, when it closed, I was like, you know, hey, I'm just, I'm happy to win this. Took it down. All the people who I thought would be out, I'm just all the, you know, like, hey, nice job, man. I saw this, you know, just it. I don't know. I just, I, I dig our, I dig our hobby. Just, uh, you know, just how, how people well, are when it comes to things like that. You know. I think, I think we have. I think, you know, I really believe over the past ten, fifteen years, we've come closer as a hobby. There's a lot more camaraderie a lot more friendship than there's ever been. And, uh, you know, it's nice It's nice to help a fellow collector in his collection. And it's nice to see, you know, stuff like that go to good homes and, and go to good collections. And not that there's technically a bad collection, but you know what I'm saying. You know, it's, it's, it's nice to see, you know, some of the hobby icon pieces are going into hobby icon Collections. That's the way I feel about it, and, and it's good for the hobby. It's good. So when you know when it gets passed down, and the next time, how many years down the road or whatever, you know, it's, it's cool coming from the Joe Squires yeah. collection or, or whoever. You know, yeah. it's 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 nice to see. It's nice to see. But, 
you know what I mean. There's there's no jealousy. There's no damn it. You know, ah, sure, it's really sure. after that. You know, it's just it's it's just it's complimentary. It's and and that's what I dig. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So. I, I appreciate. I, I I enjoy seeing that, and that was good. Uh, one other piece off script, um, because a couple of people had asked me during the week about it. The Canadian Football League CFL canceled their season for 2020. They asked my um, thoughts on it, and basically, because I do and um, am in contact with the Canadian Football Alumni Association, they're big supporters of Gridiron Greats Magazine. Um, I I kind of heard about this about five, six weeks ago, that it, it looked pretty serious that they were going to cancel. The, the thing with the CFL is a lot of their revenue was driven from ticket sales and from stadium yeah. um, you know, uh, stadium sales, so on and so forth. And if you can't play in front of fans, they don't have a strong enough TV network that could carry them through to um, you know, support Paying the players, so on and so forth. So they they basically made the decision yeah. we're gonna we're gonna cancel for the season, and you know we'll hope for the best, you know, for 2021. Obviously, I, I got a feeling 2021 will be a heck of a lot more normal than 2020. But at the same time, I I, I used an example, and this is what I mentioned to to one of the people who asked me about it, a media person, and I said, well, there's a there's a local um, soccer team, professional soccer team here in Hartford. And I'm, I'm not sure what, what league they're in, but they're allowed 25% capacity at the outdoor field that they play in. And if you ever see a game, and they're on TV most of the time, and I, I watch it from time to time, you, you see, you know, maybe 20 fans in one little section. Then you see yeah. it's spread out, you know, another 10, 12 feet, and there's another 20, 25 people in the next section, so on and so forth. Well, and I'm saying to myself, I don't know why the CFL can do that. You know, uh, you know, go every other row or go every third row. <laughs> you know, at least you would have have something, and you know, play what, the game. What you're, and that's it. what you're saying is the CFL was social distancing before social distancing was a word. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, exactly, <laughs> Just, exactly, and it, and it, and it just really doesn't make sense why they didn't want to go with something like that. But then again, you know, uh, you know, you got the same problem with the traveling, you got the same problem that a lot of things are yeah. going on in baseball right now, and football is a contact sport. So you know, I don't know. Uh, I just well. The- I, the Portland Trailblazers are here in Portland, and through my uh, a business group I belong to, we were able to. Uh, Probably about two years ago, the president of the the Blazers did a little presentation for us. And, you know, as business owners, we're like, okay, there's a top-line revenue. Where do the Blazers get their revenue from, uh, you know? And it, it was pretty interesting because he's like, all right, one-third of our revenue comes from uh, TV contracts that the NBA has negotiated. And we're kind of right. agnostic to that because, uh, you know, TNT or whomever shows up and, video- and plays certain certain shows. You know, and then it goes into a pot, and it's split amongst all of the teams, no matter you know what what your demographic. So you know, right. one third of right. our revenue comes from that. Uh, one third of our revenue comes from ticket sales, uh, you know, season ticket holders, etc. And one third of our revenue comes from merch, and that's food, beverage, mm-hmm. uh, t-shirt sales, etc. So I mean, if during a time of COVID, if two thirds of your revenue is off the table, ticket sales and merch, you know, which is you know. You know, jerseys, mm-hmm. T-shirts, beer, wine, food sales—you know, mm-hmm. you know, concessions. If two-thirds of your revenue is gone, you really have a hard time making that payroll. So, I mean, I I, I totally get why seasons are actually canceled. I would imagine there's sure, a, sure. a, a fourth sure. majeure, you know, clause in a lot of these contracts where it's like, you know, I don't know. It's uh, you know, you know, I'm, I'm glad to it's see a, our football season happen, but I, I also understand it. You know, it, it's happening in a vacuum with no with no fans, with you know, with no no merch, no ticket sales. So it's tough. You know. So I, I I'm I'm not surprised in a way what happened to them. And like I said, that that was my feeling. just to throw it out. You know, do a 25 percent capacity or whatever. But that didn't go. You know, yeah. that that wasn't going to be bought, and and that's it. So that then like leads me into what we were going to talk about, and, and I'll just touch real briefly about the national which was scheduled in December, which I said before, I can't see it happening, was officially canceled. So they'll be back in Chicago next year. 
And, um, you know, we, I actually went to a local show here in, in Connecticut, in Orange, Connecticut, last Sunday. And uh, it was pretty interesting because it was set up outside. And it was plenty of room. Oh, wow. And uh, it was good to, good to see, you know, the dealers. I knew, I knew virtually everybody there. And, uh, you know, everybody was, just, you know, talking. It was nice to see. And what I found interesting was the younger guys there, collectors, they had their gloves on. And, you know, they had their full, you know, full um, mask or face guards or whatever they're called. And the old timers like myself, we're walking around. Yeah, we got our mask on. And, uh, you know, but we're touching stuff, you know. And I came home and I'm yeah. still living. So it's a good sign. So, uh, you know, it is what it is. And I was told that another local show is actually going to open. But the, um, I don't know, the local health department in the town, it's in, in uh, Plainville, Connecticut, which is upstate more. Uh, they want everybody's temperature checked as they walk in. Yep. And as Brenda, as Brenda always says to me, if you're sick, why would you want to go to a card show? And, and that's a good point. I mean, uh, you know, if, if you're not feeling well, you're not going to want to walk around, you know, a 40-table 40, a show and try to buy something. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, uh the, the temperature catch-all situation is, I guess, a, a way around it, and he's, he, he is also separating the tables. So I guess every other table will be empty, so there's room or whatever, yada, yada, yada. So it'll be interesting to see. So, again, well, let's see what happens in 2021 as far as the shows are concerned, but they're finally a little normalcy here locally. You know. Is anyone surprised that the, Nash, the December National in Atlantic City got canceled? Probably not. I I, mean, I, I, I really can't. I, I even know why they would reschedule it for December. A, the time frame was horrific, and absolutely. I couldn't see anything, especially in the tri-state area, changing. I mean, we're you know we're we're in a chronic lockdown here, and uh, we really have no cases and and you know few deaths right now. So it, it really is yeah. not making a lot of sense. But uh, is what it yeah. is. So they canceled it and. And Chicago 2021, and it would have been nice to be yep. in Atlantic City because I was planning on driving down there. It was bringing a lot more inventory than I, I would normally do in, in Chicago. In Chicago, basically, I'm, I'm just going to send the magazines out, and that's about it. And, uh, you know, I'm not worried about bringing anything, so on and so forth. But it'll be interesting to see yeah. how, how the shows play out. Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, Atlantic City is tough to get to. It's uh, a lot of distractions. You know, uh, I mean, it, we, we've talked about this before offline where it's just, you know, a December 12th, you know, national. I mean, you're right in the heart of Christmas parties, right, et cetera. Right, I mean, and right. I, I, I don't know about you, but December rolls around. I mean, we have our company Christmas party like the first or second week of December just to avoid yep. other people's Christmas parties. Uh, right. I mean, it's, it's tough. It's, it's a, it's, a busy, it's a busy time of the year. You got the holidays. You got you know you're visiting people. You got activities. You yep. got Christmas parties, so on and so forth. There's a lot going on from Thanksgiving to Christmas. Yep. Actually, from Thanksgiving right up Absolutely. to Absolutely. You know, so Absolutely. it really doesn't doesn't make doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But it's what it is. So, anyways, it was canceled. I wanted to get that in and talk briefly about the CFL cancellation and. Um, the future of shows, hopefully things are starting to get a little back to normal here. It's just so nice to go someplace and actually look at stuff again. And uh, I ended up uh, meeting longtime um, reader of Gridiron Greats, and we did a we had a nice little trade there uh, for some flare in action stickers he needed. I had one that he, I, he had <laughs> for me. I picked up some Sunday Pop-Tart um, stickers, uh, Sunday Kellogg stickers, and I picked up a handful of 71 Kellogg's uh, football that I needed for a set. So it worked out good. It was nice. It was a nice time. It was nice good. to get out. And it wasn't too, it was about a half-hour drive from here where I had to go, so it wasn't, wasn't that bad. All right. How far of a drive uh, yes. is it Chicago from uh, Wallingford? I mean, this is a West uh, Coast guy asking. I, I fly out. I don't drive. I I, oh. I have a... Yeah, I have no desire to drive to Chicago. It would be about an 18-hour drive if I was normal, but I like stopping. So it would probably take me two days to get out there. I, I'm, those days of me driving 24 hours straight are long gone. 
That's all I got to say. So uh, I prefer just get on the plane, get off the plane, take a little shuttle to the to the Houghton there, and just Perfect. walk over, and it's fine. It's fine. That, that suits me well. <laughs> and if I gotta got get a ride anywhere, there's always taxis or, or uh, lifts or Uber or whatever, and uh, it's it's fine with me. It's not a problem. So it's quicker to get on a plane and be there in three hours than to drive. You know, 18, that's the way I look at stuff. So, um, that's it. I'll be flying out there again. All right. Our <laughs> guest is waiting. I don't want to hold him up any longer. I'd like to introduce our special guest tonight. He's 41 years old, born and raised in Columbus, Ohio. His family bleeds scarlet and gray. Grandmother Faye's first game was her 21st birthday, which just so happened to be the 1950 snowball between Ohio State and Michigan. She went on to hold season tickets for Ohio State football, men, women's basketball, baseball, and other sports for many, many years before she passed away in 2014. Our guest, when he was a young boy, starting in elementary and middle school, his grandma used to take him to the Ohio State Football Appreciation Banquet, and that's where he really started collecting autographs. He stopped collecting for a while when he went off to college, found his wife, and as they settled down to raise a family, he had an idea to start collecting again, and he's focused on Ohio State football coaches, All-Americans, and national championship team signed footballs. Because sometimes the Heisman Trophy ceremony falls on his birthday, he's always been somewhat enamored with what he believes to be the greatest individual award in all sports. Yeah. There, he also collects Heisman autographs as well. On index cards, Heisman cards, and programs. And I'd like to welcome to our show, Mr. Matt Schweide. Matt, welcome to the show. Hey, Bob. Hey, Joe. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Absolutely, Matt. On. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's funny that uh, Joe Joe picks out the date, uh, December 12th, when he's talking about the National, which just happens to be my birthday, which happens to sometimes <laughs> fall on the Heisman <laughs> Trophy ceremony night. So. Good job, Joe. That was a great wow. transition. Uh, Matt, my birthday is December 11th, so whenever people talk <laughs> about, you know, Christmas parties, birthday parties, my sister's is December 15th. So, I mean, yeah, December is a bad month for uh, leaving to go to Atlantic City from the from the uh, West Coast. <laughs> yeah, unless you want to wow. play that trip into a, a, a trip to the downtown athletic club for the Heisman ceremony. <laughs> That's nice. true. Could happen. That's true. That's true. Hey, Matt, let's lead off and ask you, how did you become interested in football and collecting? Well, actually, I'm a, I come from a family big in sports. Uh, we were a big baseball family. Uh, living in Columbus, um, you know, you get, you're, you're halfway between the Cleveland Indians. You're halfway in between the Cincinnati Reds. So I've gone to hundreds and hundreds of those games growing up. Um, obviously, you, you know that Baseball autograph collecting was always huge starting, you know, way back in the early uh, 20th century. And, um, you know, when I, when I started getting old enough that uh, understanding and collecting baseball cards, I started collecting uh, autographs as well when I would go to the parks. And you stand by the dugout and get all these autographs. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know when it actually became um, uh, the transition to football, but because we were always a big baseball family. I would like to think that um, it was when my grandma would take me to the football appreciation banquets. Um, that was usually an end-of-the-year uh, banquet uh, that Ohio State would put on for their players. You know, it was a nice plated dinner. Everybody was in their suit and tie. Um, they would they would bring out those plates, and I would always be the first little kid done with his meal and sitting there waiting patiently until my grandma says, you can go up and try to get autographs now. <laughs> So, um, yeah, that was me. And, uh, and I, like, like Bob had mentioned, I took some time off when I went off to college, kind of was, uh, disheartened with, um, everybody telling me my baseball cards weren't worth anything because they were so mass produced. So I stopped collecting cards, just stopped out of the, you know, get, got out of the sports hobby altogether. Went off. I played college baseball. Um, had a great time at the University of Dayton for four years. Um, settled down. Found my wife. Um, we started a, a family. 
I actually started collecting Yankees uh, vintage autographs again. Um, that lasted a few years. My my first big purchase was a Babe Ruth autograph. Um, and then I, I just kind of got disheartened from everybody telling me there was so much forgeries and fakes around the Yankees. So I, I started collecting Ohio State autographs because I had done that as a kid. I loved Ohio State football. Um, and, I, and I also saw that these baseball collectors were getting old. Um, uh, and, and I was feeling like, you know, everybody has this perception that the national pastime of baseball is, is swaying now towards football being the national pastime. So I thought at that time as an investment – that it would be better served going to football collecting than baseball collecting. Little did I know that what I thought was going to be an investment opportunity turned into a big passion of mine. I say football autograph collecting. And, um, you know, from there it's kind of taken off over the last 10 years. Hmm. Wow. Uh, I got a, I got a quick uh, interjection here. Uh, Babe Ruth's granddaughters, one lived in Wallingford here and one lived in Durham. Uh, they both passed, but we were friends with uh, one of his granddaughter's sons. So that Babe Ruth is his great, great grandfather. And um, cool. he talks about it a lot. He, he really doesn't know, you know, he just knows what his uh, mom told him about him. He only has a couple pieces of his memorabilia that they, they still hold in the family. And uh, it's, it's pretty interesting to, to talk to about it. But when you mentioned it, uh, his name, his, his, he popped into my mind immediately. And uh, it's when, pretty interesting. When, when I was a uh, sophomore at Dayton, we actually had a guy in the same class, uh, graduating class, that was like an 85-year-old guy. He would come out and hang out and drink beers with us. And one time we were sitting on our porch, and uh, he brought up how, as a little kid, he saw Babe Ruth play. So I thought that was pretty cool. Wow. I'm not sure if you know, but I'm a, I'm a huge Red Grange collector. And when I think of Ohio State football, I think of Red Grange's last college game in 1925 against Ohio, where Illinois won 14-9. to I'm sorry, you broke up there at the end. What would you say? I said I'm a, I'm a big Red Grange uh, oh. from Illinois collector, and you know, and back back in the twenties, you know, Ohio, you know, you know, powerhouse, and Red Grange's last football game, his last college football game, nineteen twenty five against Ohio, and it's just one of those ticket stubs and programs I've got probably half a dozen of, just because it's Grange's last college game, and you know, they, and Illinois beat Ohio fourteen to nine. Are you familiar with the game? Yeah, actually, um, I had a uh, consigner. Um, Give me a piece. It's not in this current auction. Of, of we'll talk about my auction later. But there, yeah. there was a there was a photo. Um, can't remember the size. It might be twenty by twenty four. I might be overestimating it. But it was like an aerial shot of that last game, and it, and yeah. it had a little notation: yeah. Red Grange's last game. Yeah. Just one of those historical games. I don't know. I just and I had a chance to peruse your auction. Obviously, just chock full of amazing memorabilia so i mean you know you 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 touched a little bit on your you know going to you know jenner's etc but how how, what what was your kickstart to collecting ohio state you know cards memorabilia etc um we 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 grew up uh columbus obviously ohio state's here but our weekends centered around saturdays being ohio state saturdays and sundays were cleveland brown sundays and and my entire family is just absolutely passionate about both of those. And, um, you know, I, I was always, I was always, um, very high on autographs. I told you about collecting them in, in baseball growing up. Um, it, yeah. just, it was just something different to me that if you had an autograph, it's like person actually took the time to sign their name right there. You know, uh, it, nowadays it looks like guys don't take that much time, but back then, those guys spend a lot of time and a lot of pride in, in signing their names. And that's just, that's just a, a piece to me that's like, this is, this is an encounter with that, with that athlete. And uh, going, you know, going back to like the, the 1920s that you were talking about just before that, 
Chick Harley was there at Ohio State, who is basically, yeah. in my mind, Ohio State's Babe Ruth. He's the guy that put Ohio State football on the map. And, uh, you know, just just getting getting something signed by him is, is just absolutely priceless to uh, any Ohio State collector. Well, Chick Harley's story is tragic, just, you know, what happened. Uh, just, I don't know, that, that's a tough one. Uh, you know, Bob and I have interviewed, a, you know, somebody who's a huge Ohio fan before and, and, and Chick Harley. I mean, what, I thought it was Scotty Otten, Captain, but I, I think I was mistaken. Cause, uh, it's uh, Dan Elsa. When you're on. You heard me? It's uh, Dan Elsa. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Because uh, yeah. when your auction came out, Matt, I pinged, you know, a, a, another fellow Ohio collector and I said, is this your, is your, your consignments? And he's like, oh, no. Not quite. So, it's it, you know it. Ohio, Ohio fans are they 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 are they love their team. Ohio, Michigan. I mean, man, they're they're fervent. I'm a I'm a I'm an Oregon Duck fan. Uh, it, it, yeah, but I you know my my uh, my happiness for the week doesn't rise and fall on the you know on the fact that you know the Ducks win or lose. So, yeah, it's pretty interesting. Yeah, there's a lot of live and die in in Ohio and what happens on the weekends in football and even Friday nights in high school football. Uh, Matt, uh, talked a little bit about autographs. Can you give us six of your top items in your collection and describe them to our audience? Yeah, I know this is a football podcast, but obviously I've already talked about one item and that was, uh, one of the first vintage autographs I ever got was a Babe Ruth autograph. Um, yeah, I bought it that doesn't count. The guy. <laughs> we'll allow I it. it. We'll allow it this time, Matt. It's favorite. I bought it from uh, the guy that got it as an 11 year old boy. Uh, he told me the story about how his his um, friend's dad worked at the airport in uh, South Dakota, and that Babe Ruth was on his on his way to stopping in South Dakota and fueling up on his way out to California to, to speak at a talking, uh, you know, at an engagement. And uh, he went on to say that there was you know, 50 or so little kids lining the fence, uh, getting Babe Ruth's autograph at the airport, and that there was something written in the newspaper about that about that stop. Within an hour of actually getting that um, letter of provenance and, and the actual autograph, I had contacted the South Dakota Library, and they had sent me a PDF of that article within an wow. hour of reaching out to them back in, I think wow. it was... 47 or 48. So I thought that was pretty awesome. Um, I've already talked about Chick Harley too. I have a, a signed index card uh, from Chick Harley. Um, it's the only true index card I've seen. I've seen others that are cut about the same size as the three by five, but uh, this was signed later in life. Um, belonged to a Chicago sports writer. Of course he was in the, uh, in Danville in that uh, veterans home. Um, so I believe the Chicago sports writer went over to uh, do a story on Chick and uh, had him sign the index card. And that wow. sports writer passed away a few years ago, and uh, Leland's actually had it up for auction. So that's where I got that from. Um, not a the, lot of Chick the, Harley autographs out there, I would imagine. No, no, there's not. But the, the funny thing is uh, I've handled, I'd say probably there's about 10 to 12 and I've probably handled at least 75% at, at, at some point of those 12 autographs. Wow. Maybe even That's more phenomenal. than that. So, yeah. And then the, the other thing that I, that I got, um, there's a story to it that uh, back in 2014, you mentioned my, my grandma passed away. It was actually uh, four days after my daughter was born. Um, my daughter was born in the same hospital when we were getting dispatched. Um, my my grandma got brought into the hospital by ambulance and um my my mom was watching my two boys so i have two older boys and then uh, the last one's a daughter um she was watching the two older boys and she had called me and said hey they're bringing in Faisy into the uh into riverside um can you be down there when they bring her in there um so somebody's there um, and I said, okay, I didn't think anything of it. She had been in, in and out of the hospital a few times. So I went down there, um, asked her how she's feeling. And the the first time I actually felt like something might be wrong with her was she just looked at me and shrugged and said, I don't know. 
Um, usually oh. she'd play it off and say, I'm good. I'm fine. You know, that's, that's what the older people do. They're, they're tough and they don't want you to worry at all. So, um, I got to show her pictures of her new great granddaughter and, um, said bye to her, uh, blew her a kiss and then, uh, went back upstairs. And that was the last time I had seen her, um, you know, breathing and conscious. So, um, that was right before the 2014 National in Boston story. So she actually was um, alive, but uh, not aware of what's going on. Basically sleeping for the past uh, for the last 48 hours of her life. I remember sitting in her room those last 48 hours reading Gridiron Greats magazine. So there's a nice little <laughs> plug for you guys. Um, All right. But uh, a couple weeks later was when the 2014 National was in Cleveland, um, and I was walking the floor with a buddy of mine and uh, he came up and he goes, Hey, did you see the SDP auction? And I said, no, what's over there? And he said, there's a game used ball from the 1942 Michigan game. That's actually signed by the entire team. And which of course is the first national championship for Ohio state when Paul Brown was the head coach. And I said, wow, um, that's probably going to go out of my price range. Uh, you know, this is uh, what, six years ago. I, I didn't have a lot of, uh, discretionary income to put into this hobby yet. And, uh, uh, I said, I'll have to think about, uh, putting in a bid on it. Um, I ended up wow. contemplating back and forth, whether or not I was going to put a bid in it. And that, that <laughs> I think it was a Saturday or Sunday. Um, I just felt like my grandma was talking to me and said, you should go after this. I put in my Mac, went to bed, woke up the next morning. I wanted for my max bid which today wow. is a steal wow. for how much I want it for. But I just felt like grandma was talking to me that day and was making sure that I got that in my, uh, in my collection. Um, wow. So that's the story on that 1942 ball. Um, probably, probably after that would be my less four bass gold pants. Um, I don't know. I don't know if you guys know anything about the, the gold pants tradition, but when Francis Schmidt took over the ISA program in 1934, Michigan was having their way with Ohio State. And uh, Francis Schmidt spoke to the locker room and said, hey, guys, these guys are human. They put their pants on the same way we do, one one leg at a time. Let's go out and beat these guys. And uh, from that point forward, um, they teamed with a local jeweler, jeweler and any player or any staff member, any coach that uh, partook or, or participated in a win over Michigan – was awarded a pair of gold pants um, that they would be able to wear around their neck. Um, so their uh, Les Warbath won two, two gold pants, 1942-1944. of course, was his uh, Heisman season, which also was the first Heisman for Ohio State. Um, so mm-hmm. I actually own his personal gold pants he was awarded after the 1944 Michigan game, which was his Heisman wow. year. Um, very nice. Yeah. The, it's kind of out of my realm though. Um, obviously I'm an autograph collector, but I just felt with, with being a a Heisman collector as well as an Ohio state collector, this was too good of a crossover piece to pass up on. So that's why I wanted it in my collection while I went after it. Um, now probably the Holy grail of my Ohio state collection. It took me about eight years to actually find it. And I was absolutely, absolutely ecstatic about finding it and was on cloud nine forever. Um, it actually happened, um, hard to believe. I think it, it actually happened this year, but in January. So this seems like a long, long, long time ago. Um, it's a 1881 autograph album that belonged to a fellow named MC Lilly Jr., which is Mitchell Campbell Lilly Jr., who actually played football at Yale. Dad owned a huge um, company in Columbus in the early 20th century called MC Lilly and Company. They made um, uniforms for war. And they also got into the business of making uniforms for bands. Um, but it was a really big company in Columbus back in that day. MC Lilly Jr. played at Yale. Um, his older brother was Alex Lilly who played at Princeton on the 1889 national championship team. Um, He was Mm -hmm. Ohio state's first coach in 1890. And 
I got MC Lily Jr.'s personal autograph album that was signed by Alex Lilly, MC Lilly Jr., and Snake Ames, who played at Princeton in 1889 also and went on to coach at uh, Purdue. Um, and it's just one of a kind. I've never seen an Alex Lilly autograph before. Um, I'm not in public hands. I've seen them in the university archives, but, of course, they're not coming out of the university archives. So to find my holy grail, being an Ohio State coaching uh, coach's autograph collector, um, put me on cloud nine for a, a long, long time. Um, my my sixth item, um, I'm going to have some breaking news on this podcast for you guys. I haven't shared this publicly with anybody yet. Probably the holy grail of any Heisman collector. I have a 1939 Heisman program signed by Niall Kennick. Wow. It came That's actually from really cool. Wow. A, a, uh, it came from a family member of an employee at the downtown athletic club um, back in those days. Um, so it's rock solid, iron cloud. Um, haven't had it authenticated, but I'm very comfortable with it. Um, I got other pieces from that same collection. Um, but just having a Niall Kennick uh, autograph is something I always wanted. Um, I had the chance to bid on a GPC that was in uh, Golden Auctions, I think maybe four or five years ago. Um, it went rather cheap, but I always said if I'm going to invest money in an Isle Kennick, I'm going to be patient. I'm going to wait for that 1939 Heisman program to come up. And uh, it finally came up, and I was able to add it to my collection. So those are my top six pieces. Wow. That's amazing. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's got to be hard to be a a collector and also have an auction. I mean, how do you discern between that? I've always been curious about that. Because you're a collector, but you see stuff come across as consignment for your auction. I mean, it, it's got to be tough to, you know, categorize those. Yeah, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Um, it is hard. There's a, there's a couple things. So I got, I guess, a couple stories with that. Uh, so the the good thing is with with this auction is many times I get to see pieces first. And there there was one instance where. Um, uh, a lady had consigned her grandpa's collection, and inside his his collection was a um, letter on Ohio State letterhead from uh, the Ohio State head coach at the time, John Wilsey, who also coached um, Chick Harley. Uh, coach from 1913 to 1929, was the first coach to beat Michigan. Um, luckily, she had a full of those letters, so there was actually one in there that I liked, and uh, I asked her, hey, uh, instead of putting this in the auction, would you mind just selling it outright to me? I'd like to have it for my personal collection. And uh, she was willing. So there's, there's that part to it where you can, you can, I guess, ask, I don't know if that's, I don't know if how that's looked upon from the rest of the hobby, but um, certainly I think as a collector, as, as somebody that runs the auction, I, I, I'd like to add to my collection too, just because I'm working just as hard to find these pieces as other people are that are trying to find pieces for their collection. I'm actually, I feel like I'm helping Ohio state collectors out because I know how much time I've put into collecting and trying to find that one or two special items. Almost. It, it's hard. It, it's almost an annual thing. You're lucky to add maybe two or three pieces to your collection. Um, so I'm, I wanted to well, have one auction. I wanted to have one auction site where Ohio State collectors could go to and not have to spend all this time trying to find one or two pieces a year. You're, and you know, and that's, with that's that, the thing with any that's the thing with any advanced collector, and and especially you're specializing in a very to right. me a very specialized area. So it's right. a good thing, you know, in, in a way because again, I'm sure you got very dedicated. Um, people are bidding in the auctions who are looking for those specific things and they'll come up and they're willing to wait for it, you know? So that's, yeah. that, that's fine. That's, uh... 
You know, I I could yeah, understand like, that logic with with no problem. So. Yeah, like like you said, it's a very niche market, and and, and you mentioned yeah. before how passionate Ohio Ohio State fans are and collectors. Um, I don't know if there's another school that could have their own auction like this. Personally, maybe I'm maybe I'm being biased. I'm, yeah. But I just know how passionate Ohio State fans are. Uh, th- there's a uh, there's a cruise every year for the last I think it's 12 years called the Buckeye Cruise for Cancer, where they raise money for cancer awareness. Um, I know the actual owner of that, that, that cruise, and they put it on annually, and they sell out the entire ship just to Ohio State fans. And I had talked with her, and she's like, other schools have tried to do this. They can't even sell half a ship. She's like, I don't think any other school could do this. That's how I feel about my auction site. I don't know if any other school could have their own auction site like this. So, yeah. yeah. So that's that's why I kind of had this idea to to get this together, put this together. It's been kind of a dream of mine for about six years, and it finally came to fruition this this past uh, January was our first auction. Matt, quick question, uh, just a quick, you know, uh, quick question here. Uh, first game of the season, I'm a Oregon Duck fan. The first game of the season was Ohio at Austin Stadium against the Oregon, the mighty Oregon Ducks. Who do you think would have won that game? Uh, obviously, well, you know, obviously that game got canceled. But who do you think would have won that game? Ohio State would have went undefeated this year if there was a football season. Uh, so, okay, that's not correct. That your uh, I'm, it, was, it was a question, <laughs> and uh, that answer was not correct. I think the Ducks would have won fifty-four to three, and that three would have come in a last-second field goal. Just one, you know, one of those, mm-hmm. one of those sloppy points. Yeah, Oregon would have went for two because they couldn't go for three, just like Woody said, right? <laughs> we do have pretty crappy field goal kickers. We're renowned for that. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, Austin is no, a tough really, place to play a game. I, Ohio's a powerhouse, but uh, we were looking good this year. I, I think yeah. I think uh, Ohio got lucky. That game got canceled. Uh, I don't know about that one. I really honestly <laughs> think I hope – there's been talk that they might uh, – they might – go off on their own and have a, a six-team Big Ten schedule this year where it's home and home with all the five other teams. Um, so we're still holding out hope in Columbus that there might be a football season, but not optimistic at this point. But I really think uh, with Justin Fields back for a second year, um, you know, he, he was invited to the downtown athletic club last year for the Heisman cer- ceremony in his first year. So um, I, I think he could have led him to a national championship again this year. Yeah. Going back to what you said, I, I, I agree. There's there's certain powerhouse schools. I mean, and it's Ohio, Michigan. I mean, uh, you know, I don't know. And Ohio is definitely one of them. Uh, you know, so, I mean, putting together an auction like this, you've got to have some great stories about, you know, just other passionate collectors who are, you know, happy to, you know, to, you know, to consign things to you. Yeah, you, you know, yeah. What, what Can you share some of those with us? Um, yeah. So, um uh, there's obviously you got ticket collectors, you got program collectors, you got autograph collectors. So, um, you know, there it's it's always funny because you have to have duplicates though if you're gonna if you're gonna let go of a piece. So, um, it's fun to see which collectors have doubles of things um, that they're willing to put into an auction. Um, uh, but the, as well as you know, you got the older collectors that are kind of sending out their collection, um, you know, as they start thinking about retirement, thinking about moving down in house or whatever it might be. Um, like, uh, kind of go back to the last question as well. I had, a had an older gentleman co-sign, uh, consign some items. Um, and he had a, an original stadium chair box seat from when the stadium opened in 1922. And, he wanted a $50 opening bid. I said, okay, that's fine. I turned to my wife uh, and when I when I got it in my possession. I said, this is probably the coolest item. It's not a high-dollar item, but this is probably the coolest item I have in this coming auction, at least in my mind. And she's like, what is it? And I said, well, it's a, it's a box seat from when the stadium opened back in 1922, you know, the house that Harley built. Um, Butts that have been in this seat. Yeah, exactly. Just, just think about <laughs> the people that have sat in that seat and what they witnessed when they were sitting in that seat. That's that's how I look at it. 
and I said, man, this is, this is an awesome piece, awesome piece. And I just can't wait to see uh, what it goes for. I was like, you know what? I, I should probably try to buy this from the guy outright. Um, one of those situations where, like I talked about, I'd like to have it in my collection, but then I thought about it and I was like, I should offer this in the auction. It's, it's not a piece that I focus on. It's not an autograph. It's not a Heisman. I'll just put it in the auction. How about the first day it was up to $750 after a $50 opening bid. <laughs> wow. So yeah, that, that was, uh, that was the highlight of the day one in the, uh, in the auction. Right. I, now, you I know look, this, you might get this question every once in a while. Where, where did the sloopy come from? Do you name your auctions after? Sorry, sorry, Bob. I keep, just keep coming up with questions. No, no, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. It's, it's funny that you asked that. Um, uh, because there are even Ohio State fans that will call me on the phone. Hey, is this sloppy auction? I'm like, this is sloopy auction. Oh, that makes a lot more sense. So between the third and the fourth quarter of every Ohio State game, and actually every Cleveland Browns game too, I don't know about the Bengals because I don't, I don't go to their games. But uh, in between the third and the fourth quarter, the Ohio State marching band will play the official rock and roll song of the state of Ohio, and that is Hang On Sloopy, if you're familiar with that song. If not, you can put, you can go on YouTube and uh, go listen to it. But uh, okay, they've been playing cool. that forever. Well, the marching band has been playing that. It's on their playlist at every event and concert they ever do. Hang On Sloopy is, uh, is a, a fan favorite. And uh, uh, I think even I think even the university has a – uh, their sells their tickets on hangonsloopy.com, but that's how big it is in the state of Ohio. Pretty cool. is, uh, that song, that's pretty Hang cool. On the, the ducks uh, at between third and fourth do uh, you make me want to you make me want to shout by Otis Day. Oh but, yeah. Uh, obviously, obviously, Animal House was filmed at U of O campus, and then that's a pretty popular song from the movie, so that's why. Yeah, and of course you got Wisconsin. They do jump around uh, traditions at every school and. Hang on, Sloopy just happens to be Ohio State, and that's how uh, I came up with Sloopy Auction. That's neat. Matt, are you looking for anything uh, in particular for your collection uh, from your want list? I'm always looking, Bob. Uh, obviously, uh, I, I told you the story about Alex Lilly, um, the the autograph album I got. He was the first head coach at Ohio State. I'm a big Ohio That's actually – how I started collecting Ohio State Vintage was trying to get every single head coach ever to coach at Ohio State. Quick story on that. Um, I, I had got a uh, autograph of uh, Sam Williman, who took over for uh, John Wilson in 1934. Um, uh, sorry, 1929 to 1933. 34 was Francis Schmidt. But uh, 29 to 33, Sam Williman was head coach. He got let go. Um, ended up going to Case Western or Western Reserve. I can't remember which one it was back then and passed away in 1935. So uh, his autograph was pretty rare. And um, if you go look at Ohio State history, uh, they were a revolving door of head coaches before John Wilsey came to Ohio State in 1913. Um, I I think they had uh, from 1890 to 1913, maybe 12 or 13 different coaches. And I remember picking up this Williman autograph um, from a, another Ohio State collector, and I told him what I was going after, and he said, good luck. It's going to be really hard to find all those guys before 1913, if you can find any at all. That's what he said to me. So I took that kind of as a personal mission to try to find those uh, you know, dozen or so guys that coached before John Wilson in 1913. And uh, started pecking away a little bit at a time at it. And uh, with the addition of Alex Lilly um, in January, I'm actually down to one coach that ever coached at Ohio State. And uh, his name is Charles Avery Hickey. He uh, was the head coach in 1896. It says for the full season, but he was only there for a half a season. Um, and then uh, he, he played. He was actually the captain of Williams College in Massachusetts um, in 1895, um, head coach at Ohio State 1896, and then went off to do uh, some law work in uh, Binghamton, New York. 
So I guess since I got my holy grail of Alex Lilly earlier this January, one coach left, I guess, Avery Hickey, Charles Avery Hickey now becomes my holy grail that I'm after, that I'm looking for. Wow. So if there's any uh, Williams College collectors out there to have a 1895 signed piece and Avery Hickey is uh, on there, I'd be interested in talking to you. And uh, obviously uh, being a Heisman collector and I'm always looking for uh, signed Heisman programs um, by that year's winner, the older, the better. Um, Wow. 1939 now is my oldest one. Um, I'm missing uh, quite a few guys from Notre Dame, um, 1950s, uh, and then uh, anything before 39. Wow. Those are those are heavy-duty uh, want, let's, let's say the least. Yeah. But I'd, I'd like to think they're, they're out there, though, and uh, I can peck away at them like I did with uh, all the other things that I've been able to add to my collection over the years. Totally. Matt, we've touched on it a little bit, but tell us a little bit about, uh, little bit about your upcoming auction, Sloopy. I mean, I, I perused it when it first came out. Like I said, just an impressive, you know, you know, a, a impressive array of lots that you have coming on. It's just it's pretty cool. But, yeah, tell us about uh, some of the items you have coming up. Yeah, sure. So, um, sloopyauctions.com, uh, this is our second auction. It was supposed to be a kickoff auction leading up to the season kickoff. It was supposed to end a week before High State kicked off their season, but obviously with uh, Big Ten canceling their season, it's just now an auction that's not kicking off to anything other than being called kickoff auction. Um, the highlight, uh, the first lot in there is a, um, it's one sheet of paper uh, folded in half, written on all four um, folds, uh, handwritten by Chick Harley, who we've touched on numerous times, the first Ohio State uh, three-time All-American, um, an inaugural Hall of Famer in college football. Um, handwritten all four um, folds to uh, Lynn St. John in 1919 when he was off uh, uh, doing his service to the country and um, talking about uh, how things were going there. And obviously he went to try to get back for his senior year, which, as we know in history, uh, he did end up coming back and putting a stamp on Ohio State's football program by beating uh, Michigan for the first time in school history in 1919. Obviously, that's become a huge rivalry, and High State's had their way with Michigan lately, but uh, it all started with that Chick Harley win at uh, uh, at Michigan and, and Ann Arbor 1919 at Ferry Field. Um, uh, there's there's some other great pieces. I, I try to pride myself on putting something in there for every collector of Ohio state, whether it's, uh, you know, they want to find something inexpensive, but rare. Um, you know, obviously we got the, the rarity items like this chick Harley, uh, just pieces that you don't see every day, but, uh, something for everybody's budget. Um, another one of the high dollar items in there is a, a 2014 national championship ring where they beat the Oregon Ducks. The Oregon Ducks, I said, in the national championship game. Uh, too soon. Too soon. Ah, <laughs> yeah. uh, come on. It, it, it's been five years. You're over that by now. Marcus Mariota got a got a Heisman Trophy, so you, you're good. Uh, but I'm we still do have that Seahawks national... lost the 2005 Super Bowl. <laughs> Matt, we gotta we're gonna wrap things up because I'm down to 90 seconds. In 10 seconds or less, any advice for beginning collectors? Absolutely. Stay focused. There's, there's a lot of times where you can get pulled in other directions. Stay Absolutely. focused on your collection. Stay focused on your budget. Stay within your means. That's my advice for anybody starting. Spot on, Matt. And that is that's perfect. Perfect, perfect, Matt. Perfect. Thanks for being on. I'm down to less than 60 seconds. And, again, anybody checking out, it's sloopyauctions.com for your latest auction. Uh Again, thanks for being on the show. Uh, go on for a couple more hours, but we're limited time now. So <laughs> thanks for being on. I appreciate the time you guys did give me. Good luck. So with thanks for having me on, Bob good and luck. Joe. Thank you, guys. Okay. Yeah. Good luck Joe, with your auction, seconds. man. Thanks for being on. Thank you. Ten seconds. Handing off to you what you pick up on tonight's show. What I go. Talk about some passionate, some passionate uh, fans, Ohio. But everyone, I, I have you know, probably half a dozen friends who are, you know, you know adamant Ohio fans and all of us are the same. So pretty cool to see yep. a, an auction come up just for them.
I keep waiting for my Steve Largent only auction house to open, but uh, I guess I'll I'll be patient. All right, we're out of time. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another show. Take care. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Do you wish you knew more about the 100 seasons of the NFL? You're in luck because you found the Football History Dude Podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. From the founding of the league in an auto showroom, all the way to what it is today, America's favorite sport and a behemoth of an industry. My name is Ernie Chapman. Football is my passion, and I want you to come along with me each week to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board, my DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.